بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد نسلی اللہ رسول الکریم اما بعد الحمد للہ چنائٹ از دا سکسٹینتھ آف فیبروری ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزینڈ اینڈ So we pray to Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He blesses us in the remaining month of Sha'aban and convey us safely to the holy month of Ramadan. Amen. And we're beginning the third week, the 15th night, that we're going through the exalted and dear life of the illustrious companion, Sayyidina Amr ibn al-As radiyallahu. And I've reached the point where I've mentioned that he had rebuked Aimu Salima when he came out with his concocted verses by saying by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you know that I know that you are undoubtedly a liar so note he rebuked Musaylima and he considered it an insult that he thought that he could believe this to be revelation so with regards to Musaylima just to mention a few things First of all, according to a commentary, he's mentioned in the Qur'an. In Ibn Jadid and Ibn Kathir in their respected tafsirs, Ikrimah and Qatada, Rahimahumullah, they both recited this verse. Surah Al-An'am, Surah 6, verse 93. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem. وَمَنَّ أَظْلَمُ مِمَّ نِفْتَلَى عَلَى اللَّهِ كَذِبًا أَوْ قَالَ أُوحِيَ إِلَيَّ وَلَمْ يُوحَ إِلَيْهِ شَيْءٍ Who can be more oppressive than the one who invents a lie against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or said, I have received revelation when he has received nothing. Ikrima and Qatada both died upon said, This was revealed about Musaylim Adalaya. So, in this verse, which is a Makkan verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions two, and these are the great zalims. The first is the one who invents a lie against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, meaning you've lied about him. So, an example of that is that you, you say that you had a dream and you're lying. Just to, i.e., You know, further your worldly ends, as they say. Astaghfirullah. The second, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, is the person who says, I have received revelation when he's received none. So obviously, revelation stopped with Rasulullah. So who's Allah Ta'ala talking about that? It must be a false prophet. So Ikrimah and Qatada said this verse was revealed about Musaylimah, meaning he was condemned even before he emerged. So Allah Ta'ala revealed this verse in Makkah years before he emerged. But according to the authorities, it's referring to him. But really, this should not come as any surprise. Because in another holy verse, the Almighty and Glorious, he says, in Surah Ash-Shu'ara, Surah 26, verse 221 to 223, Shall I inform you on whom it is that the shayateen descend? تَنَزَّلُ عَلَىٰ كُلِّ أَفَّاكٍ عَفِيمٍ They descend on every lying, wicked person. 
into whose ears they pour hasty vanities and most of them are lies subhanallah so in these sacred verses at the end of surah ash-shu'ara allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that i will inform you on whom the shayateen descend so think about that you know you want to be as far as away as possible from these people because the shayateen descend upon them and he explains subhanahu wa ta'ala they descend on every lying wicked person qulli afakin athim yulquna sam'a wa aktharuhum qadibun they pour hasty vanities into their ears and most of them are lies so not this was muslim and in fact in one report in tabari in his tarikh it mentions that khalid bin walid got close to him he noticed that he'd cocked his head to the side and it was as if he was listening to something so some of the ulama said this was referring to the shayateen who were whispering to him. so he actually may have thought he's receiving revelation but it was nothing but the shaitan so elof said about the accursed of course he was killed in the battle of yamama and the honor was given to sayyidina wahshi radiyallahu and his spear which he had used to martyr sayyidina hamza radiyallahu he used the same spear and to kill this wretch ai muslim and he would there upon say with this spear i have killed the best of men after the prophet and the worst This is in Sayyid Bukhari. So moving on to the next section. Sayyidina Amr ibn al-As radiyallahu's memorable and most unique way in embracing Islam. So after the battle of the trench and his return, enough was enough. Sayyidina Amr radiyallahu, he was now exasperated at the remarkable success of our beloved messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam he thus now decided to take drastic measures so like i mentioned he came back from the battle of the trench and he's now basically lost all hope in defeating the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam so what are the drastic measures he now decided so this report is recorded in bukhari in his tarikh al kabir 2-311 Ahmad in his Musnad number 17,323 or 4-198 Tabarani Ibn Ishaq Ibn Kathir Sira volume 3 page 192-4 of the English translation Tabari in his Tariq 2-146 Al-Isaba page 550-3 of the New English translation Al-Haytami in Majma Az-Zawaid volume 9 page 351 stated Sahih Ayat Al-Sahaba volume 1 page 284-5 of the New English translation And Shaykh al-Bani rahmatullahi stated Hassan in his Irwa ul-Ghalil number 1208. So this is an authentic report recorded not, all, not just in the books of history but also in the Ahadith collections. Sayyidina Amr ibn al-As he himself related radiyallahu I said to myself how many battles will I participate by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam will certainly defeat the Quraysh. Thus I will take my wealth and go to Al-Wahd and avoid the people. So stop in the report. 
So now with his brilliance, he realizes that it's inevitable that Rasulullah is going to defeat the Quraysh. Again, he shows his brilliance in terms of military uh, tactics. The Prophet himself said, وسلم, after the battle of the trench, now they will not come to attack, attack us, we will go to them. But Amr obviously, he had worked this out. So he said, I will therefore take my wealth, leave Makkah, go to Al-Wahd. Then he said, when the treaty of Hudaybiyah occurred, and Rasulullah signed the treaty, and the Quraysh returned to Makkah, I started saying, Muhammad is going to enter Makkah with the tribe of his companions, and I have no place in Makkah or Ta'if. There is thus now nothing better but to leave, and I am far from Islam. In my view, if the tribe of the Quraysh were to accept Islam, all of them, I would still not accept Islam. Subhanallah. So stop in the report. So, Khandak was in the fifth year after the Hijrah. The Treaty of Hudaybiyah was next year, the end of the sixth. So during that time, he kept away. But now when the treaty had been signed, he actually then predicted, and this shows again his brilliance, because it's not going to be long before the Prophet and the companions enter Makkah. In other words, Makkah will soon fall. Because I haven't got a place now, meaning I'm not safe. So I'm going to go far away. And he says, I will never accept Islam, even if everybody embraces Islam. He then said, I gathered the people of the Quraysh who valued my opinion and listened to me. I told them, all of you know by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that I am seeing the mission of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam progressing and overcoming us day by day despite our best efforts. So what now is your opinion in this matter? So he gets the people together and he says, look, you see what situation we're in? What do you suggest? So they answered in one voice, Rather, you inform us of your opinion. I therefore said, in my opinion, we should now go to An-Najashi, and stay there. Then if Muhammad gained power over our nation, we at least would be safe and be staying with An-Najashi. Indeed, I love to live under An-Najashi rather than to live under Muhammad. Conversely, if our people gain power over him, then that will also be good for us since we are known amongst our nation. They answered, this is a good opinion. Just open the report. So what did he decide to do? He said, let's go to a safe land, Abyssinia, just like the Muslims migrated, they were safe there, we'll go there. Because I'm, you know, a friend of Najashi, we can live peacefully. And meanwhile, only two scenarios could happen. One is Muhammad overcomes the Quraysh. We're nowhere near, we're safe. And if he gains power, sorry, if we defeat him, we are still nobles of the Quraysh, i.e. we can return. So they go, yes, good opinion. 
I therefore asked them to collect something for me to carry to An-Najashi as a gift. An-Najashi, he liked the leather of our land very much. Therefore, we collected a large quantity of leather and went to An-Najashi. So look how strange. They have now done Hijrah of Kufr. <laughs> so you got the Hijrah of the Sahab. They're doing the opposite and they go to the same land. So how many years have passed since that Hijrah? So that was in the fifth year. This is the seventh year after the Hijrah. So that's 15 years. He's returning after 15 years to Najash. He continued, he said, when we eventually reach there, by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we found Amr ibn Umayyah al-Damri radiyallahu there. He was sent by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa to him in connection with Jafar and his companions. I, who was still resident over there at the time for around 15 years or so. In another report recorded in Behaki ibn Kathir Sira volume 3 page 320 of the English translation, it also mentions that Amr ibn Umayyah al-Damri had been sent to arrange the marriage between Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa and Sayyidah Umm Habibah So what's happened? Again, no such thing as coincidence. But he gets there and he notices and he's got the same name as him, Amr. But his name is Amr ibn Umayyah al-Damri. He was a Muslim, radiyallahu. And Amr ibn al-As said he was sent there to inform Ja'far, i.e. that they should make arrangements now to return because the treaty has been signed. But another report which I've mentioned added he was also sent to arrange the marriage of Rasulullah who was in Medina with a noble woman there called Umm Habiba. So what happened? Umm Habiba had migrated there and sadly her husband uh, had left Islam and she was left. So then the Prophet sent this companion with the message that he will marry her. Um Habiba, just out of interest, was the daughter of Abu Sufyan, the enemy chief. So look how you know amazing the whole scenario is. So Amr ibn al-Asi continued, When Amr ibn Umayyah left Najashi, I said to my friends, that is Amr ibn Umayyah al-Damri, let me capture him through an-Najashi. Because I'm going to get him, I'm going to you know, sort him out. If he hands him over to me, I will take his head off. The Quraysh will then be pleased with this and would know that I killed the messenger of Muhammad in retaliation, I for the death of our loved ones. So this was his unholy plan. He thought, at least we can send a message to our friends that I've killed one of them. <laughs> Saying this, I went to An-Najashi. And I prostrated before him as I always did. He then said, Welcome to you, O friend. Have you brought any gift for me from your land? I replied, Yes, O king. I have brought you plenty of leather. So stop in the report. So this proves Najashi is hiding his iman. Because you are not allowed for anybody to prostrate to you. <laughs> Obviously, he knows that. But why did he allow this? <laughs> because he's you know, keeping the kingdom stable, as they say. Thereafter, I came close to him, uh, Amr said. 
and seeing him in a cheerful condition, I asked him, O king, I have seen a man leaving your court. He is indeed the messenger of that person who is our enemy. If you hand him over to me, I will kill him because the man, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, has caused a lot of trouble to our gentlemen and nobles. So Amr ibn al-As told it straight to the king. He goes, I'll kill him. He's an enemy to both of us. <laughs> Hearing this, An-Najashi's expression immediately changed. And in anger, he struck me a blow with the fist over my nose. I thought my nose had broken. But there's another report. In Behaki Ibn Katid Sira volume 3, page 321 of the English translation, Amr radiallahu said, My nostrils soon flowed with blood that dripped onto my clothing. So, how angry was An Najashi? Because 15 years later, you haven't changed. And then he struck him. Did he break his nose? Amr said, No. But he was bleeding. And he goes, His clothing was now full of blood. Amr then said, I became so fearful that I would have sunk into the earth if it had cracked, meaning I couldn't escape. I then quickly apologized and I said, O king, by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if I had known that you would not have liked that which I had asked you, then I would never have asked you such a stupid question. So he's, you know trying to undo the damage because I didn't know this would hurt you I won't have asked you this question the king thereupon said O Amr do you want me to hand over to you to kill the messenger of such a man to whom the great Namus who used to come to Musa visits <laughs> so what did Najashi say he goes think Amr <laughs> This is the messenger of a man who Jibreel used to visit. Ay Musa, alayhi salatu wa salam. In another report, he adds a detail. Sayyidina Amr radiyallahu said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then changed my attitude from the way it had been. And I asked within myself, when the Adams and the non-Adams alike recognize this truth, how can you oppose it? This is in Behaki and Ibn Katir Sira volume 3, page 3 to 1 of the English translation. So this was when the penny dropped for the camel that broke the, the straw that broke the camel's back as they say. So I asked in amazement, O oh, king, is it really so? Do you believe this? Meaning Amr wasn't sure. He embraced Islam. Was niggas embraced Islam. And he said, May you be ruined, O Amr. Obey me and follow him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. For by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is on the right and he will soon gain power over those who are opposing him. Just as Musa, the son of Imran, alayhi salatu wa sallam, gained power over Fir'aun and his armies. So let's look at this. So An-Najashi convinced him. He goes, he is Rasulullah. The archangel is coming to him. And he said he will soon gain power. 
And what's strange about this, how does Al-Najashi know that? If you look at other reports, he was well acquainted with what was happening. He knew about Badr. When Badr was won, he actually put on some clothes and he showed the happiness, Najashi. And they asked him, and he told the Muslims, he goes, your prophet has been victorious. So he was actually keeping tabs what was happening. So, but he said to Amr, he goes, it's almost, the time is near when he will destroy his enemies. He goes, listen to me, O Amr. So Sayyidina Amr was now lost heavily in his thoughts. Imagine he's thinking, what? Blood all over his shirt. Thinking, what has happened? Now even the mighty, just and honorable king of Abyssinia, Rahmatullah had testified openly to the truthfulness of Rasulullah's message. This memorable moment was when Sayyidina Amr was blessed heart, mind and eyes finally dawned upon the truth. How much longer was he going to subdue what had been in his heart for so many years? So what happened? So Sayyidina Amr, he said, I thereupon asked, O Honorable King, can you take the pledge on his behalf from me for Islam? <laughs> because I want to embrace Islam at your hands. Najashi said, yes indeed, O Amr, of course. He thereupon stretched out his hand and I took a pledge of Islam upon it. SubhanAllah. This is recorded in Bukhari in his Tariq al-Kabir 2-311, Ahmad in his Musnad number 17323 or 4-198, Tabarani, Ibn Ishaq, Ibn Katir, Sira, volume 3, page 192-4 of the English translation, Tabari in his Tariq 2-146, Al-Isaba, page 550-3 of the New English translation, Al-Hirtami in Majma al-Zawaid, volume 9, page 351, stated Sahih, Ayad al-Sahaba, volume 1, page 285 of the New English translation, and Shaykh al-Bani rahmatullah alayhi in his Irwa al-Khalil number 1280 stated Hassan. So in this flawless report, he embraced Islam finally at the hands of the king of Abyssinia, Ayy An-Najash rahmatullah alayhi. So now, to add this to finish, something very strange has happened. Hafiz Zurqani rahmatullah alayhi in his Shabh al-Mawahib 1-271 he pointed out this was a unique occurrence in Islamic history for it did not otherwise occur that a companion of Rasulullah embraced Islam at the hands of someone who wasn't a companion. <laughs> He's the only one. <laughs> so imagine, you know, he said those quiz questions. Has a companion embraced Islam at the hands of a tabi'in? You have to ask the person, what's the question? He goes, has a companion embraced Islam at the hands of a tabi'in? How is that even possible? Amr, Amr ibn al-As, so that's something unique for him. And maybe Amr did this deliberately because <laughs> he's the fox of the Arabs. He was thinking, you know, what is a beautiful way to enter the faith? Wouldn't worry about it. Thus, subhanallah, Sayyidina Amr had finally embraced the glorious truth around the age of 62 years. 
But think about it. You know, that's what I'm going through his age. Because if you don't go through his age, you still think he's, he's third. <laughs> How long has he been 34, right? So he's now he's 62. Imagine. At that age, he embraces Islam. But this is also worth pointing out. In certain other reports, Sayyidina Amr ibn al-As had actually embraced Islam at the hands of Ja'far ibn Abu Talib and not al-Najash. But Hafiz ibn Hajar al-Skalani, he stated, the most widely held of the two views in the matter is that he had embraced Islam at the hands of al-Najash. This is in Al-Hijra, Al-Ula, Fil Islam, page 167. So there are reports which mention Ja'far was the one. He embraced Islam at his hands. But Amir al-Mu'mineen of Hadith said that the majority view is it was at Najashi's hands. Why? Because I've given you the references. as a Sahih Hadith, authentic Hadith, where he embraced Islam at the hands of Najashi. But this is just a technical point. Why? For all of Sayyidina Amr whose good deeds are credited to An-Najash, but not forgetting, all of An-Najash's good deeds are credited to Sayyidina Ja'far. Thus the reality remains, namely Amr ibn al-As is just one good deed of Sayyidina Ja'far. So this is just technicalities. So Najashi, who did he embrace Islam? The hands of Ja'far. So all his good deeds go to Jafar, yes. So if Amr embraced Islam at Najashi's hands, then Amr is one good deed of Jafar. Mm. Just technicalities. Mm. Hence, very important, Sayyidina Amr radiallahu was far greater in status than An-Najashi. Why? Due to being a companion of Rasulullah. However, the whole of Sayyidina Amr magnificent deeds throughout his lifetime all become just one good deed of the noble king. And subhanallah, he most certainly deserves this together with whatever other good the Almighty and Glorious has in store for him. So this is a gift to Najashi. Allah Ta'ala loved Najashi. So Allah Ta'ala gave him all the good deeds of Amr. And if you go through his life, you're going to start seeing all of his life going into his account. But this was the gift that Najashi deserves. But who's greater? Amr. Because he's a companion. So what you can say, again, it's strange. Najashi has more good deeds than Amr ibn al-As. Because if somebody embraces Islam at your hands, he gets all your good deeds. You can't overtake him. And Najashi's own good deeds, that's in his account. But because of the maqam of being a companion, Amr is great. So note here, the great Amr embraced Islam in the land of Abyssinia. Look how blessed that land is. You know, Islam went there, the second port of call out, out of the Arabian Peninsula, and great companions were born there and also embraced Islam there. You know, and of course, Amr must have had a very special place in his heart for the blessed land of Abyssinia. So all I mentioned today was I quickly wrapped up on the Shaitan Musaylimah, where Allah Ta'ala mentions him in the Quran. And now I mention the memorable and most unique way in which Sayyidina Amr ibn al-As embraced Islam. Subhanallah. Are there any questions you want to ask? 
سبحان ربي حمدي سبحان اللهم وبحمدك اشهد ان لا اله الا انت استغفرك واتوب اليك واتوب الله من شر الانجيم سبحان ربك رب العزه عما يصفون السلام على المرسلين الحمد لله رب العالمين بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والاصل انسان في خسر الذين امنوا وعملوا الصالحات واصبحوا بالحق واصبحوا بالصبر صدق الله